they were living in a will, but they had another property. It's a multi-family house, I think around three, four million euro in Berlin. They forged their um, paper by the notary that they are allowed to sell the property from this older couple. And the notary who accepted that was also involved. Welcome to Chasing Fraud. My name is Fredrik Grimstad, and in this episode, I will continue my conversation with Thomas Kaplan, a former detective and the money laundering reporting officer of Fondpol Real Estate. We will talk about organized crime and how estate agents can detect money laundering and terrorist financing in the property market. Part of the enhanced due diligence measure, is there any specific tools the real estate agents can use? If we go to the tools, okay, normally you, you should start with the, um, the risk analysis. Everything starts with the, with the appropriate risk analysis and up-to-date. And um, because you need this risk analysis to go for the further um, processes for effective customer due diligence process, without this risk analysis of what reason you are doing this. And this is what the um, FSA uh, complained about uh, the real estate uh, agent. They said they have a uh, risk analysis they bought from consultancy, uh, but they didn't adopt this to their own business. And, uh, and so on, the measures who has to follow after this risk analysis um, didn't really match. So you have to start with an adequate risk analysis. That means you have to deal with this... Um, red flags uh, I, I talked about and, and uh, that means okay, what kind of properties I'm selling? What is my problem? Okay, everyone says, yeah, I'm selling residential properties, no commercial. I said, yeah, but what kind of residential? Is it apartments? How is it? Then if you have apartment and house it, is it houses and apartment you have to refurbish to invest money or not? Is it uh, a new build? And every of these aspects, if it's like an apartment or a house, has a different risk rating. So at start, you have to 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 think, okay, what is what, what is my risk? And from that point, you come to the due diligence. Otherwise, it's it's difficult. And um, and my um, big recommendation is um, ask questions. Ask questions. Um, I have like a a principle: if you don't ask, you won't find out. And um, and the first question, if you have clients who want to buy property, um, how is this property to be financed? Yeah, do you get the money from the bank account? We have now a high interest rate time. That means um, all our clients they have to bring their own money. All the banks said we finance the maximum of eighty percent of the whole property price. Maximum normally seventy. Uh, that means. 20 to 30 percent of the property price you have to bring with you uh, additional uh, the additional costs so if you buy something for one million you have to bring minimum two three hundred thousand euro in your bank account so where's the money from what are you doing uh, for for your job what is your profession do you have your own business uh, how do you I was you, how was you able to, to save this amount of money? And, um, and and who's lending you the money? Uh, if it goes to a private loan agreement, just have a look on this private loan agreement. And I can uh, assure you, every private loan agreement I saw has a tax evasion background. Every. 
yeah, or money laundering background. One of these things. Um, I never saw like someone with a private loan agreement uh, <laughs> who hasn't something <laughs> in his mind what is uh, a little bit suspicious. And um, and when, when you sell a property, what I heard about in, uh, Norwegian is that, that you have like a central database to see who was the former owner, to what kind of prices uh, were sold and etc. So this can give you also a clue how the price developed, who were the former owner, um, what is what is the history? I always say a property is telling a history and, and, and understand the, the history and is anything changing now in the history through this selling you have now. And if not, everything is fine. If yes, um, find out what it is and why it is. And um, and also have a look on the um, um, land register, especially where there is the... Uh, whether whether it's put the the mortgage deed, and uh, why? When I I always read this is land register, I call it land register book, yeah, where, where the property owner is stated and uh, and stuff, and also the mortgage deed, and and I'm reading like the section three, the, sec the section three is where the mortgage deed from the uh, normally the bank is stated there, but it's possible that there is a mortgage deed from a private person. Yeah, you know, you want to buy property for five hundred thousand euro. I have five hundred. I give you this property. For that, I want to stay in your land register book. And then you have a look. Um, when did they um, write this uh, mortgage deed in this uh, land register? And did they maybe cancel before the sale? That means the sale would be now. He bought this property for five years, and after two years, they cancelled this mortgage. Why? Why do you have the money to pay it back? Or was it just a fake mortgage deed to d to d not to produce any suspicious um, issues? Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of cases with that. Uh, we had like a big uh, construction thing with a hotel, and they put a mortgage deed of three point million, three point two million. And uh, and then they started to, to, to reconstruct or to redevelop the hotel. And it took two years, this reconstruction. And after one and a half year, they delete the mortgage deed for, for 3.2 million. And I said, yeah, but in this time you didn't earn any money. How were you able to delete this? It was a fake. It was just a, a fake uh, um, written. Yeah. And this land register book, is that local or for entire Germany? It's local, yeah. It's local, and this is what's what's what yeah. makes it a little bit difficult uh, to find out. And we, as real estate agents, we only are allowed to have a look on this uh, land register when we have the allowance from the owner to look at it. Okay. Yeah, it's not a public register, so yeah. no one is allowed to have a look in. It's uh, the GDPR is very high written in Germany, and and there is no prices. You don't know how much um, it was sold. It's only the, the property owner when he bought this property uh, and the mortgage deed, and that's it. Yeah. And, and no prices. So you don't know how many for, 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 for what kind of prices he sold. Yep. Because the contract is uh, in another section of this uh, land register from the local court. Yeah. Okay, and so in, in Norway then you will have this uh, similar land register book but it's uh for the whole country and it's digital and you can search in it and 
if you see these kind of mortgage deeds or uh, you have this number for when the property was sold, you can also search on these documents to mm. see who the property was sold from and to who. Oh, that would be great to have in, in Germany. It would have a lot. We have talked a lot about um, money laundering. And I know in Germany, as well as in Norway, the Financial Supervisory Authority, the FSA, wants to have more focus on terrorist financing. Do you see any specific threats to terrorist financing in the real estate market? Mm. In Germany, in Germany, yeah, this is, it's 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 a really really good question. Um, I think before we start to talk about this, I want to make um, a, a distinction because uh, we have like two sections. We have like the Islamist terrorism, and we have the right and left-wing uh, terrorism. Mm -hmm. uh, in Germany, we have to uh, differentiate because um, they are behave differently. And uh, so the left-wing is quite simple. There's no, not, a such, not a big impact on the real estate market. Uh, the right-wing is getting now for, to have uh, troubles. They want to buy properties for their own events. You know, they have like concerts with um, right-wing bands uh, who are singing like hardcore right-wing songs. And so that's why they're looking like for big places in the east of Germany um, where there's a strong right-wing um, um, parties there. And, and of course, we have also there right-wing political parties who are official and uh, they are raising uh, a lot of... Uh, votes at the moment and that's why there's a, like a dangerous thing coming on the east of Germany but we have to see how uh, wh where it goes now but I, sh I, will, I, will, I will stay with the Islamist terrorism why that was my job when I was a detective to find out how people who support the terrorism um, I will say it like this is, um, let's give them a name supporter they are not direct terrorists, they are supporting, and, and they are responsible for financing the terrorism. So they are try to, to, to gain, to collect money uh, in Germany. Um, and my job was it in, in Frankfurt to find out where they are collecting this money. Do they have like legal ways? Do they have illegal ways? And, um, and yes, and the problem of uh, terrorist financing is um, they are using legal resources that means they're using their uh, own employment income uh, support payments savings to tend to transfer this over ngos uh, to for example afghanistan or to other countries and and and, and this ngos in afghanistan uh, they are like supporting the terror camps and, and uh, one example is uh, i was like uh, observating a group and the head of this group, they were criminals, a criminal group. They were stealing professional uh, um, thefts. And, uh, and the head of this group, he was the brother of a guy who was preparing for a jihad in Afghanistan. Uh, he was in a terror camp, and this terror camp had to be financed. And, and uh, it was, I think, 2007 around. And, and for that, you needed more money than today. 
and and they were like stealing money in Germany uh, for this. And they had like a, a business, like a, called the internet shop. It's like a, with computers you can go into internet and, and and you can have calls in other countries. So the perfect location um, to um, uh, yeah to put on the front, on the serious front, and and and, 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 and behind all these scenes. Uh, they did this criminal activity, and um, and I think that's the big um, challenge to find out if a person is uh, supporting the terrorism, because they're using normally legal money, and and in times from today, you don't need much money, and uh, and it's like all very fragmented. That means you had a case. There were two students who did uh, a brainwashing through YouTube. There were no big a mosque or uh, an imam there to doing the brainwash they did it by their own and they prepared two two bombs in, in suitcase and placed it in trains and and they tried to um, bomb the, the trains with a phone but it didn't work they did it an electronic mistake so we had luck it was two trains in germany so um and that's why it's difficult so we have to start um from the beginning, you have the client, you can see some indicators, and you have the property. I would stay with these two, because um, they will try to, with donation from their earnings they have from their normal jobs, etc., and this donation will be made in the mosques. They have all the Friday prayings, uh, and everyone is putting money in this, in this, in this in Germany, they collect, and, and they put their money there. And this money goes over the NGOs to um, to another country, but for these um, houses to pray, they need properties, and they can rent properties or they can buy properties. And what I found out is, especially for illegal mosques, um, is that they buy normal properties, and then they start to um, rebuild them internal in the property. They change the rule. They uh, don't have the permission to do this. They do this illegally, and because they have to d- have several rooms, the room is for only for, for women. The other room is for the kids, for the women, uh, for the men's, etc. And so, if someone is coming with a special background um, from a high risk country, which is known for like terrorist activity, and you want to sell a property, go into the property, do your property due diligence. And find out is everything like in the construction in, in, in the papers he sent me, or do I find illegal um, redevelopment or the reconstruction? And, um, and this could be one one indicator regarding the property. And of course, the sanctionless screenings, etc. You can do, but um, if it's like a normal guy who is supporting the terrorism, who's working every day five days a week, you won't find his name in the internet about something. Maybe you can uh, see um, where he's going to which mosque, and then you can read about the mosque. This is what I did with some clients who wanted to buy property. Um, I found her name uh, in connection with some mosques as a visitors, and uh, and then I had a look, what is it for, for a mosque? Is it like a normal mosque or is it a mosque um, who is supporting radical parties in other countries and you can read this in papers and if you find this you can do your own decision to say uh, do I want to su- 
support this guy who want that he buys his property. Maybe I submit a uh, STR. It could be an indication. He's, he's going to a radical uh, mosque and, and, and maybe then he's also supporting uh, because um, I know a lot of Muslims who doesn't want to, to be to, to get in connection with anyone who's in this radical uh, uh, thing. So that's why they are distancing uh, themselves from these people and they are going to, to mosques who are not in connection with these dangerous people. So that's one thing. Have a look on the property and um, and have a look on the um, on the on the on the client side. Um, um, what he's doing? Maybe if you can find some connections or do some some OSINT. We say OSINT. It's like open source intelligence. Go on Google and find out. Maybe if you find on Facebook or uh, other uh, social media uh, portals something. And, uh, and and of course you can like uh, um, when you when you talk with the client if you're doing this I call it like this uh, info informational interview uh, and uh, the police officers are doing this to, to to gather information and and when he's the client discloses conspicuous amount of background knowledge on the topic of like extremism terrorist financing or that works for NGO. Um, this could be also like an important indicator, but for that you have to get him into uh, into an informational uh, interview and, um, and and to find out okay how he's thinking, how his behavior. Uh, I had one case where the client sent us um, the proof of his capital. He wanted to buy uh, an apartment, and um, and then he said, okay. He said, I have this cash on my account. I said, okay, uh, perfect. Then over sent us your bank statement and he sent us um, uh, the whole bank statement that mean I could see what kind of money left his bank account from which organization etc and then I saw that he paid money to two NGOs and, and one NGO is supporting um, an organization which is from uh, which is in the Turkey a terrorist organization not in Germany but in Turkey and I said okay um, it's it's not it's not the German rule it's it's Turkey rule but uh, maybe we shouldn't um, work with this guy together if he's if he's supporting organization who are in connection with some terrorist activities so um, this kind of information could also help you uh, use everything what you have and what you get and and, and check this for plausibility. And ask yourself the question: uh, What it is, and how can I use it? And um, and one point is that the uh, Norwegian real estate agents they um, receive the money from the buyer and transfer it to the seller. This is uh, what I understand. And uh, and when the client wishes to find the property using funds through like a mobile money transfer services. Um, or money service provider, also different names, same thing. Um, be careful, don't do this. Ask for getting the money from a Norwegian bank. Don't accept money from a country which is high risk, especially not when it comes from a mobile money transfer. Um, we had we had a couple of cases where we had like clients uh, or customers from. Iran or from another country 
and um, they said, yeah, yeah, we have the money in Germany, and they oversent you a bank statement that they have 1.5 million euro on the on the German bank account, and they said, yeah, the money comes from Germany, everything is fine. Then the transaction is over, you receive the commission, and the commission does not come from the German bank account, it comes from a um, money service provider from Turkey. And, uh, and the end of the story is what happened. He organized a money mule who transported cash from Iran to Turkey. Um, he put the cash in this bank account from this money service provider, and this money service provider exists for six months, maybe one year maximum, and then they close it again because it's only used for, for money laundering uh, purposes. And um, so at the end... Um, have a look on these uh, kind of red flags and um, and ask the client, is it possible to pay the money from a Norwegian um, bank account? When he says yes, I will. Then you say, okay, bring me the proof that the money is there. Mm -hmm. When you have the bank statements from a Norwegian bank account, then you can say, okay, now we can go further to the transaction. Not before. They will tell you they will, and at the end, the money will come from this money service provider wait till you have the um, uh, bank statement from an Norwegian bank that the money is there because then the bank has all the paperwork to find out where the money is from and uh, and when they find out that the money is maybe from an illegal source, they won't accept the money. So they did the first job and for you it is helpful when a bank said, okay, for us is the transaction okay and that can be helpful. But you, of course you have your own due diligence measures you have your own decisions to make, but the decision of the bank can help you to say, okay, the bank said the money is okay, otherwise they wouldn't allow uh, this, this this transfer. And uh, maybe just uh, as, as, last, as a last point to this question. Yeah, you mentioned um, uh, briefly about uh, what the Abu Circle clan had done, and you told me where our clan son buys a huge property at auction for 7.5 7.4 million euros and that a clown brother scammed million dollar property in Berlin. Can you go through through those cases? Yeah. Um, um, that's um, one thing the Abu Chaka clan did is um, uh, this, you mentioned now two cases. Uh, the one case is uh, the scammed million dollar property. What happened? Um, family members from Abu Chaka um, they find out that an older uh, couple, which they were, I think, around 70, they, they were living in a will, but they had another property. It's a multifamily house, I think around 3-4 million euro in Berlin. So w w what did they do? They forged their um, paper by the notary that they are allowed to sell the property from this um, older couple. And the notary who accepted that um, was also involved. Otherwise, it wouldn't be possible because normally the the, the, the couple has to be uh, there. And so they, they, they forged this and um, and then they worked together with a German investor. They made a deal with him and said, you buy this property, but you will never be registered as an owner. And then you find a um, clean buyer someone who does not know what we did here. So this is what he did. He find uh, a buyer, I think, for four or five million euro. 
who wanted to buy this property. And then the older couple got an information from the um, insurance company um, that the um, insurance um, the, the for, for fire, fire insurance, uh, because of the sale of the property, um, is finished now. And the older couple says, why? We need an insurance. And they asked and said, yeah, yeah, you sold your property. That's why you don't need it anymore. And they said, no, we didn't sell our property. So they went to the police and, and they made an investigation, found out, oh, it's maybe the Abu Chaka clan behind that and it's a big uh, scam. And it took, I think, two years that they get, again, the, the property. But uh, uh, it was so close that they earned with nothing, four million euro, and uh, and the money would would be away. That's just um, one one case. How they are working? It's very creative how they're doing things. They are doing things you never would think it's possible. And uh, about the bad thing is uh, the the nasty mansion deal of the Abu Chaka clan. What happened? Arafat Abu Chaka, um, it was 20, 2012, he said to, to this famous rapper Bushido, he made like millions with his songs, um, and, 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 and the songs is always against cops and, and, and ACAB and all these things. And uh, Arafat was his boss, uh, his manager, and he said, okay, come on, let's buy this um, um, ensemble of wills in uh, Berlin, in the near from Berlin, and they bought it, I think, for a couple of million euros. And in the one will uh, Arafat was living, in the other one his uh, the father of Arafat, and in the other will was Bushido. Every will has I think around three to five hundred um, square meter living area, so it's really massive wills. And um, in the time from 2012 to to the time when he sold this property, uh, they re refurbished the wills. They are really really beautiful made. They invested. They must invest like really really millions of euro. Because it's like big wheels, like uh, three level and etc. And one day they both get uh, received. Uh, they get in fight, and, and, and Bushida didn't want anymore Arafat as a manager. But you don't leave uh, a clan boss. That's why uh, Bushido went to to the police and asked for protection. Uh, it's funny in the songs he hated uh, the police, and now he uh, went to the police for for protection and received the protection. And what happened? Um, Bushido said, "Okay, I want to sell my my uh, my will." And another of us said, "No, you can give it for me for present, but I want a lawyer to sell it." And that's why he said, "Okay, then we have to go to the court." And um, and it had to be um, sell uh, um, over the court. And and this is at the end what um, happened. The court value the property with around 40.4 million euro it's like a really really big well ensemble and um, and the starting bid was 70 uh, 7.5 million euro and um, and if you want to give a bid you have to uh, place um, uh, a deposit a security of uh, around um, 20% so and this uh, means it would be like I think 1.4 million euro. Y you had to to to, to deposit, and um, and it was already deposit from the son of uh, Arafat Abu Chaka. 
um, but it wasn't cash he deposited. It was like um, a security paper from the bank. The bank gave the son, the 20-year-old son, which uh, has any work, he didn't work, and um, gave this uh, security and he deposited by the court. And the court said, okay, perfect. And, and then they were asking in this official um, um, transaction, they said, okay, who want to give a bid? No one. And then a lawyer of this 20-year-old young son said, I have a bid from my client, 7.4 million euro. And they were on this court, they were like police, tax, uh, the tax authority, everyone was there. <coughs> but no one tried to give a, a bid for that. So that's why he got it for 7.4 million euro. And, and I tried to get the value market of this property is, I think, around 20 million. It's just um, and much more. So a 20-year-old um, son of Arafat Abu Chaka paid 7.4 million euro for a property or for properties uh, which have a value of 20 million euro. And, and no one is able to do anything against that. And, and this is like uh, absolutely crazy. No one asked where is the money from. How is it possible that Arafat Abu Chaka or his son are able to pay 7.4 million euro? How many money do you have <laughs> in your uh, in your cupboards or whatever where you where you, where you put the, your cash or your illegal money to pay this amount? And um, yeah, and this is I think uh, one of the famous cases at the moment in, in Germany. And um, and everyone is wondering how is it possible, but uh, this is, I think, why it is possible in Germany is all the people are coming to Germany to invest in the market with their illegal money. Uh, there is a saying that the mafia in Italy only survives because of the German property market, because they are able to invest all their illegal money in the German market and no one is able to, to stop them. Yeah. But e even though a lot of criminal activity occurs locally in different uh, different countries, a lot of criminal activities doesn't always have some borders. So they can be cross-border and you can have uh, criminal groups, organized crime uh, in from same groups, criminal activity in several countries. Uh, do you think any of the criminal groups you're talking about have any connection whatsoever to Scandinavia and Norway? Yeah, um, what I found out that there is, um, when we talk about, we have in, in Germany like hundreds of clans, you know, it's like big clans, like Abu Chaka is just one of these nasty clans. We have the, the Remo clan, we have Al Zayn clan, Miri clan, they are all dangerous. They are doing the same things. And, um, and I had a look on which clans are in Germany and in one of these Scandinavian countries. Uh, I did not find any direct connection to Norway, but a lot of connection to Sweden. Uh, why in Sweden? All these Arabic-Turkish clans are left in the uh, after the Lebanon war. Um, they left the country and moved to Germany and to Sweden uh, to live there. And, and so there are like a couple of clans. Um, I will name some of them. For example... The Ali Khan clan. Uh, the the boss is Hashem Ali Khan. 
They are in Berlin and in uh, Hannover. This is not Northern West Westfalen. And uh, a big clan. They are really dangerous. And they are also in um, Sweden. In Sweden, there are around 120 family members. And uh, what I c found out is that, for example, 30 of them are involved in more than 200 investigations. They are loud. They are violent. Uh, they have guns. Uh, they are involved in shootings. And, um, and they are in um, Malmö, Göteborg, and uh, Stockholm. They are based there. <coughs> And what I read is that, uh, especially in Malmö, um, they are like in the north of Malmö, and they are like uh, they have the control of the north of Malmö. And uh, and then you have like uh, another clan, the Alzheimer clan. They have more than three thousand members in Germany, or m say in whole Europe, and uh, they are really present in Germany. Everyone knows the Alzheimer clan, are also involved in shootings, and and they are uh, also in Sweden, in Malmö, in, in Hesselholm, uh, Landskrona, Loma and Perstop. Um, and they are in the, I think, in the south of Malmö, because in the north is the uh, Alikan clan, so they are dividing uh, it. And, and of course, you have the Fakro clan, and uh, he's very active in Sweden, especially also in Malmö, interesting. And in Germany, he's in Berlin and in Essen and in some other cities. This are just like the, so the main big clans, when I say big clans, like 100 to 2,000 and involved in shootings, uh, robbery and, and, and rape, everything, everything there, everything involved. And what I saw is that Oslo is not far away from Malmö. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you think, oh, we know we don't have any problem with clans, I said, it's just... One hour away. <laughs> One hour away. Yeah. I said, when it's then too hard because Sweden is starting to, to fighting them, to take them their kids away, There's it's, it's a new measure, preventive measure they, they implement. They take the, the kids away. Yeah, they say, oh, you're a criminal. We want your kids. They get another parents. And, and this is, not, of course, for, for these clans, really like a dangerous thing because it's uh, about their reputation. Because if you you are not able to look after your own children uh, no one has to be afraid of you if so this is like uh, the, the thing they, they want to do but it's the right way I'm, I'm not really sure because uh, at the end it's uh, uh, you you play you, you play with, with the children and um, uh, I'm not sure if it's the right way you have to do it in another way it's an integration problem and uh, same in Germany and um, yeah and the last point is but just just a quick overview is the Romanian and, and Gypsy clans. Uh, in Germany, big problems, we have really big problems with them. Uh, they are really involved in, in organized uh, crime uh, only in their own clan. And um, they are really good. Uh, they are manipulative and, uh, and they're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, it's, and it's not ending. And they are really, really... Um, Flexible. They move from city to city. They don't need to live long in a city. They're moving. They are now in Frankfurt. In two two years, they are somewhere else, and um, that's typical for them. Yeah, and you you told us about some experiences uh, and examples from Germany. 
uh, with organized crime. Uh, do you do you have any suggestions for what Norwegian authorities should do to prevent that Norway experience mm. similar things? Mm. Yeah, I could start with the general things like a robust anti-money laundering uh, system, etc. But all these things they 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 don't get to an, to an effective output. I think what what could help is and what helped maybe Germany is uh, this public-private partnership we developed. Uh, in this working group three I'm leading, we published a paper um, money laundering in the real estate sector in connection with clan crime. So it's a first paper which focuses especially on clan crime um, where, you s- where you can find red flags, anomalies, suspicious um, issues, and, 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 and this you can, you can put on your risk analysis. You can use it directly. There's no transformation, anything. You can use it directly, and that helps a lot of oblige entity to find this out. Uh, and I think in, in if I heard that there is a public-private partnership, but it's only like between the, the financial sector and the uh, private, se- uh, the, the the public sector, but there's not uh, the non-financial sector, especially like uh, lawyers and, and real estate agents, etc. And I think this is important, maybe, to to develop this to uh, with the working group who's 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 taking care, who's looking, who's developing papers, typology papers, who can help. And this would be like a, a direct uh, thing. What is important. And and then there is I think one important thing um, we can talk about this a lot the whole day but I think one important thing is what Austria did because Austria I, th- I compare Austria with Norway in in, in in the thing of in connection with the clan crime why Austria they see a threat is coming they they have a low threat regarding clan crime they know we have some clans here they are but they are starting getting loud and we have fear. That they are coming more clans, and um, and in Norway it could be the same. So what did they do? The the the, the Federal Criminal Police Office um, they have an exchange um, between the Berlin State Criminal Police Office and the Swedish National Police. Uh, it was, uh, for example, uh, intensified, and and there is a mutual job shadowing program. That means the Berlin criminal police um, go to the Swedish, and the Swedish comes to, to the German police and, uh, and to change, like to exchange information. And um, and and there uh, last year the um, government the, the from Austria that was like the second thing they invited a Swedish uh, police officer, a German police officer with experience with clan crime to Austria and of course in Austria some police officers uh, to have a two-day conference to talk about these problems and how can Austria use the best practices from both countries uh, for their own system and and you have preventive measures like communication how we can communicate with these clans and and of course you have like the, uh, the the combating how we can effectively combat clan crime and um, and and I think this was a really really good idea to do that. And I think to get a first impression about the threat is maybe to invite people who have this uh, experience. And Sweden is just 
next door. So you have the professional police officers who has experience. Um, just invite them for, for a conference. This was my, would be my first point to just share information, to get a first overview and um, and maybe to educate the um, Norwegian police officers in this kind of crime and maybe to build um, uh, a special task force or, or persons um, who start like to educate the, the police officers to have a better look on this. Uh, this could be like uh, two two things. Who could or three things was was it now? Who could who could help directly? Yeah. Thank you so much, Thomas, for contributing with your knowledge. Thank you. It was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Chasing Fraud. If you found this interesting, remember to subscribe on any podcast platform.